All right, this is Rio for Hidden Americans. And today I have Tom Luongo from tomluongo.me. And Tom has a ton of experience. He has a lot of ideas and a lot of interesting things right now. But most importantly, my understanding is that you raise goats. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't raise as many goats as I used to. I have a few. Uh, we used to actually run a, a, a small dairy farm and we used to go to the farmer's market, sell milk and cheese and yogurt, and ice cream and all sorts of stuff. I don't do that anymore. I have a handful of does and I've got, you know, a couple of bucks. And as a matter of fact, a couple of them are due to like drop kids any day now. So I'm kind of happy that the, the weather's warmer than it's, than it's been because, you know, it gets really cold out there. There's always the possibility of, especially if you have triplets, that one of the kids doesn't get a proper meal that first night and they... Oh get a catch a chill and die it's 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 that's usually the bigger problem than anything else um but yeah no i've, I've been raising goats for like 11 years now so i've heard they're a complete pain in the behind but they also seem to be very popular so i mean what you get milk or yeah well, I, I, i've got dairy goat hybrids right so i've got dairy goat meat goat crosses um and um and so yeah we we, we milk them I milk one girl, right? We have one doe milking right now. I probably won't milk the other two that I'll just let them nurse their kids and, and move on. I only need one goat to supply my family. I don't need more goat milk than that. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll eat the boys and, but they're not that bad. I mean, honestly, once you understand how to keep goats, uh, you've got to do harder fencing than you would for, you know, cows, you've got to have livestock guardian dogs for them and everything else. But once you've got them kind of trained to the electric wire and you've got, you know, a pretty sturdy fence because they like to rub up against the fence because they get itchy right. um, and then wall it down, you know, once they, they figure that out, like they're happy where they are, as long as they've got enough food and they know that the feed is coming, like they're not that hard to deal with. They like to get out and because there's, because whatever's on the other side of the fence is always better than the food that's right in front of <laughs> Let's just not kid ourselves, right? Sure. That piece of grass over there is far better than the stuff over here. And I know why that is when, I, you know, I don't go too far in the weeds on goat psychology, but after watching them for 11 years, I know why they think that way. They're browsers, they're not grazers. So to them, the stuff that's farther away from them is actually a good thing because it's less chance there be, for there to be parasites, less chance for the, the ground to be contaminated. So hmm. they, like to, they like to move around and be in different places for that reason. And it and actually it's, it's, it's a, it's a survival strategy for them. So it seems like there's a big shift right now with people kind of, uh, you know, wanting to raise their own pets, you know, raise their own, you know, you know, hydroponics, right. all this type of stuff. Um, but you were in it before the, before the hype and everything. So that's, yeah. no, that's I, we, we built our house. I mean, the ha I'm you're, we're talking in the house I built with my wife mm. and my friends, in 2003, I've been here for 18 years now. We built the house, 90% of it we built by, by hand. Wow. Um, you know, I live on 14 acres up in North Florida. I've raised chickens. I've raised ducks. I've raised goats. I've raised the livestock guardian dogs. I've done all of that. My wife runs a garden. We have fruit trees and nut trees in. We've got ground. We've got, we've got you know, we've got meat on the hoof and we've got, you know, ground nuts in, you know, on the ground and storing you know calories on the ground so i we're not like hyper efficient at it or anything and we're not like but we understand how this stuff works and we've got enough skills to you know that we've produced our enough food that you know like we've had our own thanksgiving where all the all the food off the land at thanksgiving was 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 produced here right so you know yeah uh, we've done that before we don't do it often but we've done it before so and you know I think when I, so I'm out in California and over the last couple summers, the electricity has gone out multiple times. There was 
a time over the summer where I didn't see the sun for about a month because of forest fires. Right. And now in Texas, I have family in Texas and I'm seeing people uh, without electricity, without water. Mm-hmm. And you see that stuff and the self-sufficient uh, lifestyle looks very appealing. But what concerns me more is it seems like it seems like, and who knows, this could be a normal thing, but it seems like the standard of living for Americans, our, our power grid, utilities, there seems to be a lot of decline. It is. You're, you're correct. You're correct. No, the, look, prepping and self-sufficiency and all that stuff is great in its own way, but understand that you're trading time for money. You're trading time for, you know, for food and energy security. And look, the reason I don't run a, I don't run a full service farm anymore is because if you want to be a farmer, you have to dedicate your entire life to it. And I'm a better political analyst and writer than I am a goat farmer. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to like mince words here. Right. Um, I'm not bad at being a goat farmer, but you know, as long as that, that herd stays under like five or six goats, we're, you know, five or six does, we're pretty good. Um, Anything more than that. That's just, that's just too much work, man. I'm just not going to kid you. You either have to have six kids, which I don't, I have one. Uh, and who are then willing to work the land for you or, or not. So yeah. I don't have that optimal prepper kind of lifestyle. You know, I didn't have a gaggle of kids and have my wife at home to run the farm while I, you know, while I, while I write about how great my, my prepper lifestyle is, right. I don't have that. I have a, <laughs> I have the problem of not having like everybody else, not having enough time. Right. So what's important when you start talking about the loss of lifestyle, uh, quality of life, uh, the loss of, of basic uh, infrastructural stuff, is you're asking yourself, is the division of labor in an economic sense, is it, is it contracting or is it expanding? In an expanding economy, division of labor expands, the demand for monetary units expands, and everybody gets richer. They don't all get richer at the same rate. That's a fallacy that the commies would like us to, to believe is potential, is, is a is a net good for society. It's actually not a net good for society. And that's a different discussion for a different day. But, but a rising tide does, does lift all boats, right? In the last hundred years, you know, the, even the bad versions of capitalism that we've run, which are mostly corporatist nightmares, um, we've lifted more people out of poverty. You know, we've lifted everybody out of poverty that has been born in the last, last hundred years. Right. They talk about, well, there's seven and a half billion people on the planet. Yeah. Well, in, you know, a hundred years ago, there was a billion people, you know, living below the poverty line. Today, there's about a billion and a half people living below the poverty line. We've, 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 the Malthusians were wrong that the food production and energy production doesn't scale with, with, with a, with an, with a, with a, a geometrically expanding population. They've been wrong about everything because they don't understand that capital goes to where it needs to flow best. And I'm going to get to Texas and why this is important in, in a minute. Capital goes to where it's needed via the free market in its mo- and that's the most efficient manner with which to get it there in order to produce the goods and services that we need to support our lifestyle. And if we can't, and if we can't direct that, that capital there, then there's a contraction, right? So what happens when we screw with the risk associated with the entrepreneurial ventures needed to produce the things that we want, the an electrical grid that's stable, food production that's stable, energy production that's stable. What, what happens when we, dis, when we destroy the risk premium uh, and the risk signals in the market that entrepreneurs need to know where to put their capital, that, we're te- that we as consumers are t- giving them? What happens? We get things like what happened just in Texas. 
We get an electrical grid built for warm weather, built on the idea of global warming, which is rotten nonsense. They didn't weatherproof their water system. They didn't weatherproof their nuclear power plants properly. They didn't weatherproof the propane and natural gas distribution centers, uh, distribution pipeline networks properly. These all froze up or broke or exploded when the weather reached you know, 20 degrees lower than it was supposed to. And I can tell you that I'm in, even in the same problem here in Florida. I'm weather, you know, I'm, I, I'm weatherproof for about 25 degrees Fahrenheit, right? It gets to zero here in Gaines, you know, where I am north of Gainesville and my pump's going to freeze, right? Mm. Not the water line from my pump to the ground, right? My pump is going to freeze and I'm going to have a problem. I'm not going to have any water that morning, which is why we're going to build uh, like, you know, a shallow well with a, with a pump, right? And a hand pump on it in order to have water when the power's off. Because we live in the lightning capital of the world. We lose power all the time, mm. you know? So like you have to understand what your risks are and you have to be willing as well to be, to truly be open to real information. And the fact of the matter is, is that we've been prepping for the wrong catastrophe. And this is what, and Texas just, just uh, exposed the dark heart of this by, it's not just the windmills freezing up in Texas. They produce the marginal megawatt in Texas, but it's worse than that. It's the lack of weatherproofing all through the houses and, and, the, and the infrastructure that the city's built thinking, oh, you know, the last hundred years is, you know, normal weather. Unfortunately, our weather cycles, geologic terms, are much bigger than that. And things, and we know that things turn quickly. We know in the studying past geologic events, we know that things turn quickly, but all that's been suppressed in service of the political ideology of global warming. It just really drives me up the wall. We also don't have a decentralized grid, right? Electric, electrical grid. We don't have home power generation in the United States. It's mostly, it's for, them all, for all intents and purposes illegal or even localized power generation, right? We have all these monolithic, huge, reactors, be it nuclear reactors or coal-fired plants or natural gas powered plants, when there's been PEM fuel cell technology out there that could produce um, uh, neighborhood-sized natural gas, that run on natural gas-sized systems that would you know run a neighborhood that never would have to go to the city for power. And that's been off the market and that's been available for 20 years and no money goes towards it because we don't all, because we've retarded the investment into it because of by making the regulatory hurdle to get those installed so high that no one put the money into it. So we have a very bad electrical grid here even in here in the first world. Yeah. Okay. And I you know and it makes and that just drives me crazy because I'm like we're all living like like on the edge of of of, of a catastrophe every time the weather turns against us. Doesn't matter if we're here in Florida or we're in Texas now, and Texas is supposed to be weather, it's supposed to be weather and, you know, um, you know weather stable, right? We, we in Florida get, you know, yelled at all the time for being a, a, a burden on, on society, right? And fair, and, and, you know, fair business. So, I mean, this is, the, all of these systems are interconnected and they're all interconnected into monetary policy, government policy at both the state, local and national level. And, you know, all the, the bigger, the, the bigger issues. And so now we have to decide, you know, is this the inflection point where we have to look at all these institutions that are failing and all the promises of the central planning 
even in mostly deregulated in the United States relative to the rest of the world. It doesn't mean that it's unregulated, mind you. It just means it's less regulated than the rest of the world. Are we going to learn these lessons in the next 10 years? Yeah. And I I hate to jump around a bit because I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here. But Mm. one thing I couldn't help but think about is you have someone like, you know, Elon Musk, an entrepreneur, you know, capitalist. He's creating reusable rockets. He's putting all this money into getting to Mars, mm-hmm. you know, Tesla, Starlink. I mean, wherever you look, he's doing, or even the, the um, he's even doing tunnels. He's doing right. a, a, lo- thing, right. a lot of creative things to try to fix some, some of the of issues. Mm-hmm. And then you look at uh, utility companies or, or, you know, any of the kind of the, uh, you know, legacy systems that we have, and they're all kind of falling apart. And then, and then you see Elon Musk uh, reach out to Vladimir Putin. And I, you know, a lot of questions have been raised about, you know, what is that about? What does he want to talk about? What's going on? And uh, I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on some of that, because I know you've had some thoughts on Putin lately. Sure. No, I, 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 I study Putin intently. I'm one of the few people that truly, I think, gets Putin, um, Clearly, and I've been writing about Putin since I first got my job at Newsmax, uh, writing uh, uh, Gold uh, Stock Advisor back in 2013. I was immediately pivoted into this because I understood that geopolitics uh, were changing, right? Mm. And that there was a, a big shift happening in the geopolitical arena somewhere around 2014 with um, Putin uh, standing up to Obama in Syria, okay, and trying to stop the, the US invasion of Syria in 20. For 2013, which then turned into the Maidan and the Ukraine um, revolt and civil war in 2014, and then and then everything else has happened since then. And that was really the start of the hybrid war between the United States and Russia. Musk understands, I think, with his uh, his tweet at the Kremlin to say, "I would love to meet. I would love to sit down and have a chat with with uh, with President Putin. It would be a great honor." Is similar to Dennis Rodman going to North Korea to sit down with Kim Jong-un, right? What he's, what they're both saying is, look, the foreign policy establishment of our governments are incapable of actually affecting change. They want this to continue, whatever this is. And in my personal opinion is under Biden, we're going to see a ramping of anti-Russian sentiment beyond the Cold War state that we had under Trump, which was bad enough. Trump didn't want to go to war. He just wanted to, you know, basically separate economic, do as much economic damage as possible. I'm seeing enough things from Biden early on, especially war games in the Black Sea and a variety of things and, and, and stuff happening in Ukraine in particular. And Biden, of course, and Pelosi and Mitt Romney and the rest of them are all dirty in Ukraine. So, you know, they want their money in. They want money from They want their bribes from the gas transit contract of Ukrainian gas companies to continue flowing into their pockets. And they're willing to use American military might to get that done by, by proxy, by funding the Ukrainian army. Now, Burisma, right? Musk is trying to back, Musk is, yeah, Burisma among others, right? Doesn't, it's not just Burisma, but it's others. So Musk is trying to bypass all that. He's trying to say, look, we have a foreign policy establishment that is heading us towards a very bleak future. And I think him saying that and making that tweet four days after he announced that Tesla took a one and a half billion dollar position in Bitcoin 
is very important. The timing on those things are, of those two announcements by him are important. And I've always been on the, the fence about Elon Musk as to whether or not he's you know completely full of it or um, is he actually a visionary, right? And I don't know. And I'm, and I'm willing to continue to play skeptic on him. I just did a podcast with Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire on this very issue, um, uh, speaking about both Musk and Bezos, Jeff Bezos of Amazon's uh, aspirations into space and satellites and all the rest of it, right? We did it, we, Patrick and I did about an hour on it and you can find it on my website. And it's, I think it's a particularly good podcast uh, discussing this. And I just took the position of devil's advocate with Musk because uh, I don't have a good answer. But these two things that he put out there are very encouraging because, of course, the Russian president and you know his staff are more than happy to speak with Elon Musk. And then the bigger question is, is Elon Musk, act, is Elon Musk acting as the front man for Bezos and Tim Cook over at Apple? Because tying it all back into Bitcoin and the great reset, the advent of central bank digital currencies that are coming on the, on the, on the back of the corona apocalypse, which is what's coming next. And all of this stuff that they're ma the major understand, the major thing to understand is that the great reset, as it's been advertised, cannot happen without the central banks taking complete control of the currency, doing away with debt-based money, and just unmooring it completely from human endeavor, right? Our money today is built on the on, uh, is the confidence in the money that we have today, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound, it doesn't matter. It's all built on the confidence in the central government's ability to extract taxes to pay the debt, to pay the coupon payments on the debt. Once that confidence right. collapses, that's when the currency collapses, right? doesn't matter if it's Argentina or Venezuela. And the worry, of course, that the world has right now is that what happens when the core economy and the unit of account of the world, the dollar, when the world loses confidence in it. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Like, I don't think that's going to happen next month or next year, but it is in the cards for the next decade. It's a process that's already underway. Now, take that one step further and ask yourself, okay, if that process is underway and it's pretty well understood and the central banks and the World Economic Forum want to fill that void, in order to remain in power with their own digital only currencies, which, will only, which won't allow people to buy guns, by the way. Like the way they'll stop us from buying guns is they'll say, no, you'll just decline your payment to you know, Bob's gun store. Or right. you know, nope, your cholesterol is too high. You can't order that pizza from Domino's. That's what's coming. That world, that, black, that episode of Black Mirror, that's coming, okay? They already mostly have it done in China. So that's what they want. Now the question on the other side of that is, are Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, which are the exact opposite to central bank digital currencies in terms of their construction. One is a hyper-controlled money or currency, unbacked by anything, unbacked by no work or anything, just well, the ability to extract and the amount of which are in, in, in circulation will be backed by taxes. They'll change the and, and, and manipulate the tax rates via modern monetary theory, go look that up to understand how that works. And then on the other side, you have custodial money like Bitcoin, no different than gold, just a digital version of it. You have custodial money, which enforces property rights and enforces fiscal discipline. Now, which can be levered up just like any other asset, but 
still foundationally, it can only be levered up so far without the confidence collapsing. And since it's only a 12 year old system, the confidence in it's pretty, pretty thin. So the amount of leverage that can be built into that system at this point in time, very, very thin. And so that, and that actually is a very good thing. Um, so from my perspective, that's the fight over the next 10 years now. And I think Musk just crossed us the, crossed the Rubicon on that to tell everybody that's what the fight is. And when I yeah. see other things I'm seeing from Apple and Samsung and whatnot about, about payment systems, payment layers, I'm seeing the same thing as well. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously somebody like Musk putting $1.5 billion into Bitcoin is mm-hmm. cannot be understated at how big of a uh, shift that is in the entire yeah. world. And with, you know, currently there's just been, it, it feels like all these things are kind of c- confluing all at once. You have like all the printing, everything going on. It's just trillions and trillions and trillions. And then you have Musk getting into it and you have all these things where it looks like there could literally be like a shift. And, and everyone talks about Bitcoin. They talk about, okay, it's going to be the new world reserve currency. It's going to be the internet money. Right. And it feels like we're headed there like full steam ahead. And, you know, you see it get banned in India. You see some things on the peripheral, but you don't actually see the United States or Europe willing to really crack down on, you know, on miners or people owning it or self custody and stuff like that, which you, you would think would happen here pretty quick. Um, you're right, but 65% of Bitcoins are mined in China. China's issued five different statements banning Bitcoin. And yet somehow 65% of the mining on the Bitcoin blockchain happens in China. India is always the globalist World Economic Forum's test bunny for how they're going to, how they're going to do whatever they're going to do. So Bill Gates mm. goes to meet, meet with Narendra Modi a few years ago. Two weeks later, Modi does away with every, every um, uh, physical uh, bit of cash above the $20 bill, the equivalent of the $20 bill. Literally in that order. Go look it up. Gates meets with Modi. Modi ban Modi bans all bills bigger than the twenty dollar bill. Oh. So th- India coming out and saying, "Oh, we're going to ban Bitcoin, and you got to liquidate your um, your accounts within six months." Okay, Modi, Mohan Labe, no, you know, no keys, no custody, dude. Like seriously, like last weekend, I think it was last week. It was the, it was the day before Musk made his announcement. The German government made an announcement that they seized sixty million dollars worth of Bitcoin from a fraudster. But he refused to give them their keys. Like so, the translation to that headline is: German government announces they they are, they are claiming dominion over sixty million dollars worth of Bitcoin, but they don't have any custody over it. And the guy's like, "Yeah, sorry, waterboard me for it. You're not getting the password." I mean, I'm sorry. I would I would stand up to waterboarding if somebody was trying. If the government was trying to steal sixty million dollars worth of Bitcoin, right? So. No custody, no keys. This is what I mean by this is exactly the opposite of all they can do is beat him for the password. Literally, that's all they can do. They can beat him for it. Because if he refuses to give it to them, all they can do is like put him in jail, but they still can't get the money. They're going to put him in jail anyway. They're committing him of fraud. They seized his assets, but you can put him in jail and seize his assets, but you can't actually seize the assets. You can freeze them, but you can't seize them. That's fine. It just takes more Bitcoin off the market, making the market even more unbalanced in terms of supply and demand and the price goes higher. Like it proves the very point that these people are powerless in front of it. And I think that the lack of coordinated um, policy at this point 
by the US and the EU. And Christine Lagarde hates Bitcoin, the ECB president. She's called it funny business money. She keeps coming out and saying, oh, it's just, you know, hookers and blow, basically, and, you know, hookers and terrorism. She's mostly right about that. I'm not going to argue that for the most part, that's what moves along the Bitcoin blockchain. But the point being is that she's not going to win with a digital euro, but she, in order to, for the European Union to survive, they need the digital euro. They need to cancel all the debt. They need to consolidate it all under the ECB being the only issuer of debt, yada, yada, yada. The fiscal integration is the only path forward for the European Union as a political entity. Mm. Uh, it is only it is the Achilles heel of the European Union. Martin Armstrong's been banging on this point for 25 years. And after you know 10 years of listening to him back in you know the, the 2000s, I finally got religion and understood it. I'm like, yes, Martin, you're correct. Okay, got it. Um, why that is, and the structure of the euro is such that, you know, imagine the United States having, you know, Illinois being able to issue dollars in order to pay its pension fund. We don't have that. Only the Federal Reserve. And only the Treasury, the U.S. Treasury, can issue. The only the Federal Reserve can issue Federal Reserve notes, and only the U.S. Treasury can issue uh, government debt. In Europe, every state can do so. And then, and they, you know, what they, what what they've been doing for the last ten years with negative interest rates, Target Two, and OMT, and all this alphabet soup nonsense that Mario Draghi created, is to move the liabilities around and basically put them on Germany's balance sheet, and then. The German people are now on the hook for all the Italian debt, all the Portuguese debt, all the Spanish debt, all the Greek debt. Um, so when push comes to shove, Merkel is going to grind her people into paste, suborn them to Brussels, while Draghi destroys what's left of economic uh, well-being of Italy. And within a couple of years, they'll be dealing with a digital euro. Uh, they'll have destroyed. They've already destroyed the sovereign debt market. So now that they've destroyed the market, now they can just get rid of it. Um, and that they're going to do it all under under the auspice of the of funding for the Green New Deal and Corona apocalypse relief. I had That's no it. I had no idea that each member state could mm-hmm. basically print their own euros. That does seem well, yeah, that's, that's like a, a Italian problem. five Italian five year bonds, <laughs> Greek twenty year bond or that ten year sense. bonds. No one will no one that will lend sense. the Greeks tw- money for twenty years. But yeah, five year right. bonds in the Greeks, right? right? Um, you know, the Swiss are not a part of that because they're not part of the euro or the EU. But yeah, no. And that, and that fundamental structural problem. And then to have they all trade at different interest rates, but we have one. But you have one um, exchange rate. So what this means is that within the structure of the European Union, German industrial production is undervalued. It's trading with a weaker. The, the euro is undervalued versus German productive capacity. It's mm. overvalued versus Italian productive capacity. So, of course, we see a net. We, what, what Germany's been doing is been running an export economy within the European Union, within the eurozone, by utilizing the exchange rate mismatch between Germany and Italy, which is why the German car companies have been killing it for 30 years or for 20 years since the uh, introduction of the euro and why the debt and why the whole system why italy can't get out of its own way at the same time then the germans turn around and get on their high uh, on their on their uh their moral high horse and say you owe us this money i mean i've argued with like really important german um commentators on this point i'm like y'all are just running a freaking like y'all are just running the mercantile Merkel scam and then on top of that having the nerve to blame the victim like I'm sorry, guys. Like, I don't feel bad for you. I know the United States has got you as an occupied territory and everything else, but I'm sorry. I'm Italian. And what you're doing to my to my people 
is her is is heinous. And y'all were a freaking scourge on the planet 75 years ago. And now you're just doing it with money as opposed to, you know, ovens. Klaus Schwab is, is German, right? Yeah, of course he is. Like, so the whole great reset is the whole great reset is, a, is, is obnoxious. Like, like, Hey, why don't we turn the whole world over to German eugenesis? Cause that turned out so well the first time we tried it. Like, right. <laughs> so, so another thing we touched on, but not, not heavily. And I, I did want to get your thoughts on this is it seems like every week I'll, I'll look in the news and it'll be a new, uh, you know, Bill Gates will have some new great idea. Maybe it's synthetic beef yep. or, you know, you see he's buying up all, all the farmland or well, now, he's not buying up all the farmland, but he's bought up a lot. And now you need three shots and, you know, right. it's, it's just, four masks and three shots. And yeah. it's constant with this guy. He seems very Klaus Schwab without, you know, well, he is. He with, works for them. He works for the same group. Bill Gates okay. is the Bill Gates is the is supposed to be the 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 friendly uh, friendly face of communism 3.0. Okay, mm-hmm. that's his job. Okay, and I can tell you that they're already that they're now freaking out. I in, in the last week I've noticed a very significant shift. Or the last couple of weeks I've noticed a very significant shift. When Trump last year issued those executive orders relative to uranium where he was allowing uranium production mining to happen in the United States. Again, not that we have a lot of uranium deposits in the United States. We really don't. There's only about two or three really good um, uranium deposits in the world. One's in Kazakhstan, one's the Athabasca Basin up in uh, Saskatchewan. And there's, there's some out in in Australia. We have a few here in the U S but they're nothing. They're nothing like those. Right. Um, Kazakhstan is like the, the mother load. Right. Um, which is why the Russians will control the Iranian market for the next 200 years, FYI. Um, so, but he started the process of putting uranium back in the news because of course, then there would also be uranium processing here in the United States for the first time in a long time. And, uh, and there's a, uh, I saw a report the other day that Illinois processing plant, uh, the Honeywell's Illinois processing plant is going to be coming back online. So we're going to start refining uranium here in the United States for the first time in God knows how long, thanks to the Greens. I've noticed that the all of a sudden, after publishing the Green New Deal a year and a half ago or two years ago, right, with no mention of uranium, with no mention of nuclear, it was all going to be wind and solar and this and that and everything else, seems to me that all of a sudden, you know, with, with the solar panels under six inches of snow in Germany and the wind turbines freezing up all across the North Sea and now Texas, but it started before this, that Biden came out and said, yeah, Nuclear is part of the, uh, the Green New Deal. And uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez blessed that for the progressives, for the Green Movement. Okay, Now, she's a moron, but she's a politically powerful moron. And when she speaks, the hard progressive left listens. So her job is to sell whatever it is that they want, what the WE, what, what, whatever the latest thing is they want. Gates comes out, what, yesterday? We're doing this on what, Friday the 19th. Yesterday or the day before, and says, yeah, nuclear is cool, and we have to use these newer, um, you know, third gen, latest generation reactors. They're good. Which, by the way, I agree with. For the first time, I finally agree with something that came out of Bill Gates' mouth for the first time ever since he you know, announced OS2 partnership with IBM back in the late '80s. Literally, forget you know, forget that guy. But he finally said that. And why are they saying this? Because they know they can't run a first world economy on wind and solar. They have to go nuclear. 
if they're going to sell the Great Reset, we have to go nuclear. And we and these Gen One reactors like Fukushima, that like the Fukushima meltdown, and we have all over littering all over the United States. They all need to be. They're all twenty years past their service date. They all need to be replaced. Mm. And the Russians are eating our lunch in terms of installing them all around Asia. Rosatom is the only stock in the world that I wish I could own, but I'm not allowed because the Russians don't sell any of it on the open market. It's completely privately held. Okay, I'm a big Russia bull, have been for years. Got it in my portfolio, been recommending you know, Gazprom and or RSX to people, the Russian ETF to people for six, seven years now. It's like, just buy it. It's going to be, it, the Russia's brilliant. If you go look at the, the Russian stock market, I've been right about all of that. But you can't buy Rosatom. They have a $104 billion book of business of, in, uh, of plants that they're building in Turkey, India, China. These are nuclear Pakistan, plants? Nu- all nuclear plants and okay. all in all latest generation Russian um, third gen, third gen, you know, either molten salt or whatever, you know, non-meltdownable, you know, reactors. Yeah, None of these all- old first gen, first gen um, uh, and Chernobyl style reactors. They're not building those. Got it. So my understanding is the new generation of nuclear plants doesn't have the waste association no. with no. it. So there's no, you're not putting it in a mountain or anything even, like that. I mean, honestly, Wait. even even then, like the first generation reactors running on, you know, uh, you're running on um, what, 235 or 238. Um, even then, like we shut down the use of nuclear energy in this country because we were worried about, you know, transporting the dead rods across the country in the, you know, in the dead of night under military, uh, you know, under military escort, which is dumb because you know what we did? We stick all those dead, those dead reactor rods into pools that are run with diesel generator backups. So what happens when the diesel fuel runs out and the react, I mean, the biggest environmental hazard, NASA environmental hazard we're staring at right now is not being able to get diesel fuel to Cedar Key. Okay, to the power plant at Cedar Key, in order to keep the diesel plant, the diesel generator running to keep the reactor rods cooling. Okay, cool. Like this is the biggest. This if that happens, if that breaks down, if we have a societal breakdown of, of any kind, that's what's going to destroy. That'll destroy life in North America. It's like mm. those reactor, those rods, those spent fuel rods need to be picked up and they need to be transported to Utah and put in the salt mines. I don't care. Like the threat, the potential for the military to like you know. For the for the the rods to you know, get into an accident on I seventy out in the middle of nowhere and you know and uh, while they're being transported, I, I that is a that's a that was the argument why we shut all this down and yet we didn't kill all the reactors they're all still out there producing ten percent of the baseload the the ten percent baseload that runs the American economy like we didn't immediately replace them all with third generation molten salt reactors or you know whatever there's there's a whole variety of them variety of them out there and my in my research and i did a whole bunch of research into this like eight or nine years ago so i don't mm. I'm not quite up to, to date on you know i can't talk authoritatively about the different reactor types but i do i just remember enough to know that there are plenty of good reactor types out there that can be in, installed like that that have to be installed and if we're going to go forward with nuclear i'm all for the, the later technology but we have uh, we have a, a, a literal like life extinction on the planet event staring us in the face over the over the um, the diesel fuel making it to the you know diesel fuel backups making it to the freaking power plants because that's what happened at Fukushima 
right? That's what happened to Fukushima. It was so bad that they eventually ran out of diesel fuel. They couldn't yeah. get in there to keep keep the reactor uh, rods from melting down. And then they had to re- and they had to release all that freaking water into the ocean. I mean, and you see what's going on in Texas with all the refineries down, all the the oils getting uh, stuck there, and that's a that's a real uh, it's a real threat that that problem could pop up. So, l- let me ask you: um, I, I'm assuming you weren't a a huge fan of Biden, but I did see you write an article kind of saying, "Hey, look." Trump was was nice, but let's move on because mm. there were some downsides to the to Trump and the Trump oh, yeah, administration. I, I was, um, uh, I, you know, I, I tried to be as fair to Donald Trump as possible. I voted for him twice. I would prefer him to be president than Joe Biden, with, without a doubt. And yeah. I'll take, you know, Biden's a fungus and um, just waiting for, you know, just signing executive orders, you know, in order to get his jello before he go, they take him back. They wheel him back to the home. Let's, let, let's not kid ourselves. He's a stand in for Obama. That's what he is. But Trump lost and the year of Trump is over and he lost not because, you know, you can argue whatever. I, I don't I don't care. I don't even care about getting take, taken off of YouTube, but that's why I've been trying to get thrown off of YouTube for two years. And have, <laughs> don't get my miserable. channel taken off. Uh, that's okay. fine. So I won't Already say I won't say what strikes. I'm going to I won't say what I'm going to say. And if you have, you know, which is that, you know, we know what happened. Right. And um, it's a, you know. Biden's president. There's no point in 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 looking backwards at what 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 should have been because what should have been is irrelevant like unless we can look at that as saying okay unless you're going to learn a lesson from it and we haven't learned any lessons from it which is that the election system needs to be hardened and everything else if anything it's going to become even more and more and or less and less and less democratic everything that the democrats have proposed it's going to make it even less democratic for those of us who actually pay into the system as opposed to get the largesse of the system they've reversed all of that right um we are now we are now bondholders who pay coupons to ourselves it's it's terrible it's 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 ridiculous so um we don't even own the bonds but we have to pay yeah we don't own the bonds they we and we we still pay the coupon payments um to people who never bought them in the first place okay that's kind of what we're doing so now okay so now Going forward, we have to deal with the fact that this is what's going to happen with Biden. We can see what's happening. He's absolutely, every time he signs an executive order, every time anybody in his administration opens their mouth, it's in service of whatever it is that the WEF and the Great Reset want. It literally translates into, Klaus Schwab is telling me to do this. Bill Gates is telling me to do this. George Soros is telling me to do this. We are, Germany is going to run, Germany is going to run the West. Yada, yada, yada. This is what, I mean, that's all I see anymore. And and it's not the my myopia on this. Like, it's very obvious that this is what they want to do. Um, and it was, it was less obvious under Obama, right? But in hindsight, it really wasn't. It's just because we were still coming to terms with the idea as conservatives that America wasn't the shiny house on the hill, but uh, a... a a dangerous oligarchic uh, hegemonic empire, right? And that idea was still, was only under the, it was only held by the far left and the far right, which, you know, the hard, the, the Noam Chomsky right and the Lou Rockwell, or the Noam Chomsky left and the Lou Rockwell or Mises Institute right. And then it was slowly making its way into the center 
it it, it was big enough that it, it it was big enough that it elected Trump. Okay, and then and but they what they, people haven't wrapped their 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 heads around yet is that we that's already been that's not even what's important anymore. And I've been trying to get this point through to you know colleagues like Caitlin Johnstone for reason like the U.S. is not the problem. The EU is the problem. Because the EU, but because she's a leftist, she doesn't care. She thinks communism is great because she's stupid. That's fine. I told her this in public, and I don't care if I burn that bridge because I've already burned it. But watch the alternative media space, the people who refuse to um, question anything about the corona apocalypse narrative. And you'll see what I'm talking. You'll see where their blind spots are. Their blind spot is that they want this to happen because they think capitalism bad. And they think the U.S.'s empire is a capitalist empire. Well, they're wrong. It's corporate. It's a corporatist empire, just like every other freaking empire's ever been. Um, it doesn't matter. You, you can call it what you want, but it, it's it's not capitalism. So, you, I, I mean, I think I think that's a great point. I just want to touch on that really briefly. I I think there's been a big awakening, at least on the right, you know, and probably people who you know are well informed on the left. Obviously, the whole empire thing, it's its a little hard to deny when we're, you know, what's happened in the last 20 years since 9-11. And then the other thing that I think has been a, a very awakening for a lot of people is it feels very much like America is kind of headed in a fascistic direction in the sense sure. that corporations seem to have as much power as the governments, if not more. I mean, you see them kick Trump off Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, you see Facebook is now uh, not letting you share news in Australia. Yep. And there's these weird things where you see, you know, the government against very, very big, strong corporations. Mm -hmm. And it really does have that kind of, um, you know, when you'd watch those uh, futuristic movies in like the eighties and there'd be the, like this dark grimy future where like corporations yep. would run things. It feels like we're getting pretty close. Yeah. There's a great, there's a great uh, Canadian science fiction series from uh, a few years ago. That's on Netflix. I think it's still on Netflix. It's called continuum. Uh, okay. it's a time travel story, time travel story about this very, about, you know, about, uh, undoing the 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 mistake of, a, of building a corporatist future uh corporatist takeover of of the world and supplanting governments and it's vaguely leftist but it's also vaguely left libertarian uh it's one of my favorite shows of all time because it is uh certainly the first season is a treatise on using violence as a political tool mm. right uh from both sides of the equation from both the the left-wing terrorist and the right-wing um uh, law enforcement perspective because you have that you have the cop versus the terrorists both sent back in time to try and, you know, retroactively abort a, a terrible future, right? It's the Terminator at a societal level. That's the, that's the setup of the show. The show's fantastic. And I absolutely recommend everybody watch it at least once, probably certainly the first two seasons twice. The later two seasons aren't as good. The, um, we're, you're right. We're in that kind of mode. The thing is that the pushback has already happened. They overstepped their bounds so far because I think in many ways, I think they were told to. Now, not Facebook, not Google. They're in on it with the word WEF. But I think the company, this is where I'm like on the fence about Musk, Tim Cook, who I know is not nearly as much of a lib as he portrays. Okay. He's in Silicon Valley. He runs Apple. If he wants to sell products, Tim Cook's a Republican, but he can't admit it. There are a lot of people like that in Silicon Valley, and they can't admit it because of the corporate culture. That's what I believe. And I have people who have been studying Apple for a long, long time, and that's what they think. And 
if you watch the things that Tim Cook does as CEO of Apple, he does so, he does things that walk up to the line where things are, where it's really bad. And then he never crosses the line, i.e. will never give the NSA, the encryption algorithms, backdoors into FaceTime audio or any of that stuff, unless they have a warrant. Like Facebook happily gives all their data to the NSA because they were built by the NSA. Same thing with Google. They were practically built by the NSA, okay? But Apple, I think, I think Amazon exists. I think Amazon has uh, strategic partnerships with the CIA in terms of AWS and the Washington Post. I think that's the, it's, it's in order for Bezos to, to build a company that would, under any other circumstances, run afoul of Sherman antitrust law. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I can see reasons. I can see the counter argument. I can also see the argument that they're evil oligarchs. And my, my question at the beginning of this talk was, in a sense, are Musk, Tim Cook, and Jeff Bezos auditioning to be the next Klaus Schwab, next generation of Klaus Schwab and George Soros, or are they actively fighting it? And it's a good question, and I, I put it in people's heads, not because I have an answer to it, but because I want you to start thinking in those terms as opposed to the reflexive, because we live in a, an age of, of, of abject cynicism. Everything, we're cynical about everything. And I'm, I'm chief cynic here. Like 90% <laughs> of my political analysis, as I assume somebody is full of it, I assume they're evil. And then I'm 90%, 90% of the time I'm right. I just run the script and go, oh yeah, well, that's obviously what they're doing. And 90% of the time I'm right because 90% of the time they are evil and they are full of it. But every once in a while, really, I'm not sure. And, you know, and I'm eternally an optimist because I do believe decentralization and I do believe technology outpaces bureaucracy. And we're going back to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, the pace of innovation in cryptocurrencies is so fast, even ardent bulls and ardent followers of it, like me, can't keep up with it. And that reminds me of 1996, 1997 in internet stocks. Things were happening so fast that you could not understand what was happening. And those people, like Bill Gates, who said it was a fad and it would never replace the real economy, were wrong. Because the, well, the governments will come in and step on it and the regulatory capture and the old economy like Xerox and this, well, IBM, well, they won't allow that to happen. And, and they didn't. They didn't stop it. Oracle became a thing. Netflix became a thing. This thing became a thing. I, all the eBay became a thing. I mean, all of this stuff happened. PayPal became a thing, right? We're, I think we're in the same boat with cryptos. These guys want to, to your point earlier, want to put controls on it. They've allowed futures trading to try and wag the have the tail wag the dog in the futures market the same way that they control the silver market and the gold market. And it worked in 2017 when the crypto market was Bitcoin, Coinbase, and a few exchanges. Today, there's an entire multi-billion dollar industry, almost trillion dollar industry of where you can sink liquidity in the crypto space and never go back to dollars. So shutting off the pipes, the, the off ramps, like by, only, by forcing all Americans out, you know, out of Bitcoin through Coinbase or Kraken or Binance, like these things are so big now that how are they stopping? How can they stop it? And yeah, they can write, and it takes months to write regulations and it takes weeks to write software upgrades. They're going to lose. 
but they're going to do unbelievable amounts of damage in the process, which is why I think going back to your point earlier about Elon Musk, him going and doing foreign policy is very important because now we're seeing him think ahead to what this Bitcoin revolution actually means. And now if he can speak to Putin, I'm not a particularly religious man, but I, you know, this one, this one I'll pray for because <laughs> that's the kind of thing that really changes the game. Because I under, I know Putin well enough to know that he understands most of this. He's still not completely on the fence. He's still not completely sold on Bitcoin, worried about the ruble. He's been, you know, having to, to, to protect the ruble for 20 years and those, and those things and the, and those instincts die hard, but he does get cryptocurrencies. He has spoken with Vitalik Buterin of Ethereum. He has spoken, you know, and Russia has, you know, rational cryptocurrency laws now for the first time ever. And they're the, really the only major economy that does. So I've heard Putin speak on uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. It does seem like he understands it, which is actually very um, outstanding for a world leader mm -hmm. his age. I think most of them don't grasp it he grasps it very smart guy and you know i've heard a lot of people you know just on the internet intelligence officer pardon me he was an intelligence officer he was an intelligence right, officer right, he has to have a very right. flexible he has to have a very flexible mind he's a very analytic person he's a master chess player and a master and an eighth don in judo right, he's a right. very flexible he's a very flexibly very intellectually flexible man so. absolutely and i've seen a lot of internet chatter a lot of people think a musk could be kind of like the you know, every every side has elites and everyone thinks, OK, Musk could be like a, uh, a good elite, you know, for the people or everything. But who knows? We'll see how that plays out. Um, so in general, I mean, what uh, do you see coming from the Biden administration, maybe the Kamala administration, you know, over the next four years, that could be good, that could be bad. I mean, do you have any, do you, do you see anything coming? Because I mean, it, it's like, I think it's like 52 executive orders so far or something. I mean, it, he's moving pretty quickly for, for not moving much at all. Right. Well, he's, he is, he is moving quickly because they're, they're, they're governing by executive order while Congress um, keeps everybody distracted with impeaching Trump, right? Which is dumb. Yeah. And it, they almost, and they almost lost three months of their congressional uh, agenda, right? Then they wouldn't have got a stimulus package. They wouldn't have got the tax. They wouldn't have got the. They, they wouldn't have been able to raise taxes. They eventually had to, you know, climb down off the mountain. Um, nothing. The only good thing I will see, I, I expect to see out of Biden, is a restoration of Obama's um, uh, antipathy towards Israel, which will back Israel off and force a um and force finally force some kind of resolution to the situation in the levant so in syria lebanon iraq iran and the rest of it saudi arabia and we'll probably see the restoration of the iran nuclear deal which neocons hate um which and by saying that i mean most uh, Israeli um, firsters within our U.S. government and within the American diaspora. Okay, and that, but that's a good thing because the Israelis, in my mind, are they need to settle 
they need to make a, make a settlement with Iran. Okay. Uh, because Iran is in no position after four years of Trump to want to start a war with, uh, with Israel. But until Benjamin Netanyahu was properly chastised, I don't know that that's going to happen. Now, I haven't been following Israeli politics as closely as I have in the past, but it looks to me we're beginning to see the, um, uh, the beginnings of exactly that. I saw a report the other day of the Russians mediating between Syria and Israel over some prisoner exchanges. This is a good sign. Okay. Um, of course, at the same time, the Israelis bombed Damascus on Christmas, on Christmas night and on Valentine's Day. Okay. So, you know, salt all this stuff to taste. That's about the only good thing I'll see out of, of the Biden administration. The rest of it is going to be uniquely terrible. Okay. Um, because the, the goal of the European Union is to run the table using the U.S. military as the tip of the spear for their foreign policy to break Russia off from China and Iran in order to, because once that's done, then they can go after China. Now, I think they're delusional when I state that thesis. Okay. My opinion on this is that that's the dumbest freaking thing I've seen since the last Bond movie. But actually, yeah, the last Bond movie was pretty bad. Spectre was pretty uniquely terrible. I've, I've been skipping um, them now. They've gone downhill pretty bad. Yeah, I, I liked I, I liked uh, I liked Skyfall and I liked Casino Royale. Like every odd numbered Daniel Craig one would have been good. Um, and uh, they've uh, but that's their plan. Okay, it's clear as day. That's what their plan is. I think it's dumb. And I think that that's going to create a lot of very ugly um, outcomes. And it's going to come down to Russian and Chinese diplomacy. And the Russians are the premier diplomats in the world right now. And Sergey Lavrov's staff is fantastic. And they have outmaneuvered Angela Merkel in Germany Obama, Biden now, or Harris, whoever, um, and Netanyahu, and um, the Saudis, and all of them, multiple times over the last five years, and Erdogan in Turkey, almost, and Macron in France. Every time these guys try to get uppity, they fail miserably. The only ones that the, the Russians can't seem to beat are the Brits, because the Brits just use MI6 to to create a problem that they then hand off to the Americans and the Germans to fail at, 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 uh, at implementing while the Brits, you know, while the Brits walk away and say, Oh, we had nothing to do with it. Yeah, you did. And we all know it. So, but at the same time, the Brits can't, can't supply enough gas to keep their people, their, their people warm. So they're going to have to buy that gas from the Russians. That's exactly what's happening again. And, And every day that that goes on and every day the planet gets colder, the Russians hand in diplomatic terms gets stronger. Right, so. right. I know there's the jet stream that's been a, a big mm-hmm. controversy. So, you know, Tom, I, I really appreciate you being here, taking the time. Sure. Can you tell us, you know, where the audience can find you, where they can follow you? Sure. Um, so my blog is over at tomluongo.me or Gold Goats and Guns. That's the name of my, that's the name of the blog. That's the name of the newsletter, which I have on, I, which I publish monthly on Patreon. I publish a retail investor level newsletter uh, with a full portfolio strategy to tie all, all these ideas up together into coherent stock picks and strategies, uh, investing strategies and whatnot. Uh, we cover crypto, we cover gold, we cover Timberland, we cover oil. Like I cover um, 
I, I cover media and culture. Um, that's their Patreon. The, the Patreon has two different levels. It has the newsletter. It also has twice weekly market reports and private Slack server for a curated community, kind of our, a nascent ver version of locals. Um, and I do video podcasts with technical analysis of strategic markets and, and uh, every Wednesday and Sunday, uh, along with some headline discussion and tying all of that together. I do that every week for my, uh, for my people. That's $4 a month. The newsletter is 12 um, and then you can find me on YouTube. I live stream once a week on YouTube and DLive. Um, it's mostly me swearing into a microphone for, for an hour um, and getting, uh, you know, therapy. And, and you're on uh, Twitter too, right, Tom? I am on Twitter, TFL1728. I'm also on Gab. It's TFL1728 as well. Okay. Yeah, those are, you know, those are pretty popular places these days. Well, Tom- Yeah, you can I find me on, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm reasonably active on, on social media, but not terribly. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, everybody, uh, Tom over here is fantastic. His, his writing's great. His speaking's great. Please go check him out. Uh, thanks so much for watching today for, for Rio, this hidden Americans, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.